0: Today, on The Winning Walk, with Dr. Ed Young. You put these commandments into practice, live them, and I can guarantee you one thing. You will grow up one day and you will see there is a man that came from that boy that God entrusted me with. And there is a woman that came from that girl that God entrusted me with. And that man and that woman will make a difference in this third millennium.
1: The truth is kids are searching for a role model and you can be that person. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message called Thou Shalt Model Godliness and shares proven truth for how you can be a bold example of faith that shapes the lives of the children around you. So stay with us. That insightful message is coming up on The Winning Walk. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message Thou Shalt Model
0: Godliness. We're talking about parenting. This is the fourth in our series. I started off in two introductory messages. We talked about a family that is dysfunctional, meaning it functions dangerously. We talked about a family that was functional. It means it functions in a way that is effective in building the right stuff in the lives of the children. And then last week we talked about the first of the Ten Commandments of Parenting, as I am calling them. And it was, Thou shalt love your children. And we discovered, I think, that loving children is not exactly like we thought it was. And then this week we look at Thou shalt model godliness. And I think you'll discover as parents that modeling godliness may not be exactly what you thought it would be. Now, let me say as a way of explanation that certainly there are addictions And certainly there are mental and emotional and chemical and physiological imbalances that may preclude this method of parenting from working when there are physiological reasons, when there are addictions that come into play. But let me also state that if you're a father or a mother or a grandparent or a single that's looking forward to marriage or afraid of having children or concerned about how your children will turn out, You put these commandments into practice, live them, and I can guarantee you one thing, having said all the precursors about addiction and chemical and physiological problems, you put these into practice and you will grow up one day and you will see there is a man that came from that boy that God entrusted me with. And there is a woman that came from that girl that God entrusted me with. And that man and that woman will make a difference in this third millennium. God's principles, God's truth, always works when it's lived out in the lives of individuals. Let's prepare for the teaching of his word. Father, you speak, and let me get out of the way so that thy word and thy truth might be heard, received, understood, and, O Lord, our Lord, empowered by thy Holy Spirit, may we put into practice right in the middle of our families. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture is 1 Samuel 1, the entire first chapter of 1 Samuel. But first of all, I want to read again from Psalm 127, middle of your Bible, verse 3 through verse 5. Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Let me repeat it again. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. One man who was having trouble with his family read this verse and said, I want to paraphrase those words from the psalmist. And this is what he wrote. Behold, children are a burden from the Lord. AND THE FRUIT OF THE WOMB MUST BE HIS WAY OF TESTING US. AS THE SOURCE OF ENDLESS WORK AND CONTINUED AGGRAVATION, SO ARE THE CHILDREN OF ONE'S YOUTH. UNHAPPY IS THE MAN WHO HAVE HIS NEIGHBOR ask, DO ALL THESE KIDS BELONG TO YOU? (laughs) THAT'S A REAL QUESTION FOR A LOT OF PEOPLE, ISN'T IT? ARE CHILDREN A BURDEN OR A BLESSING? Are there a privilege or a liability? And in light of this, when you have the challenge placed on top of that, that we are to model, that scares me just looking at the title, godliness as parents before our children? We're to model it. How exactly does that work? So I have selected a biblical family, a biblical couple, and I put that question down for them. We know the great prophet Samuel, what a mighty man of influence politically and spiritually he was in his generation. What kind of parents did he have? And we look at those two parents and we discover something. Take your Bible, look at 1 Samuel chapter number 1. We run into Elkanah and Hannah. That was the name of the couple. What did they do to build godliness into this son that the Lord gave to them? Look what it says in verse 4. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, But the Lord had closed her womb. This husband, Elkanah, loved his wife, Hannah, but they had no children. They had no children for many, many years, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they sacrificed, and they went to the altar, and they prayed, and they called upon godly men to lay hands upon them, and they prayed, but still they would have no children. The problem of infertility was very apparent many times with families in the Old Testament until finally Hannah got pregnant in advanced years. Now notice something. God sometimes answers our prayers later in order to answer them better. If Hannah and Elkanah had had a son back when they first desired a son, the first five years or 10 years or 15 years, it would have just been another Jewish boy. But in God's timing, they had Samuel, And we know their prayers were answered better even though they were answered later. And the first principle of building godliness into your children, we see it in Elkanah and Hannah, was that they loved one another. That wife loved that husband and that husband loved their wife. That's the first thing we have to do if we want godly children. Now look at the next thing that took place here. We see in chapter 1, verse 21, Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go until the child is weaned, then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Literally, that he may live inside the will of God. We see that Elkanah and Hannah Love their son, Samuel, because their desire was for Samuel to grow up and be the kind of man that God had written a prescription for Samuel to become before the foundation of the earth. So the next thing you want godly children and godly grandchildren, you have to genuinely love them. Now, a lot of people don't understand what it means to love them. We talked about that in our first commandment. We think we have loved them when we provide for them. And the way we provide for our children today, we delegate. We say, that son, that daughter needs an education? We delegate it to the school. You know, our children need an understanding of faith? We give them to the church. You know, our our children need to build relationships? We let them pick their friends. And therefore, they're involved in other families through their friends our children need to know something about recreation, we give them to all the programs, whether it's dancing or ballet, or whether it's sports and activities, and all that the social community provides, we give it to those. They need entertainment, we say, turn on the TV, turn on the cable, look at MTV, here's the VHS, Here, here is the computer that comes in your home, we give them online services. So we delegate all of this. And if there's a problem with education, we say, it's the school. It's a problem with faith, we say, oh, it's the church. It's a problem with, with entertainment, we say, oh, it's the culture, it's the media, it's the TV, it's the internet, it's all the other. And if there's a problem with their recreation, we say it is the coach, it is the teacher, it's the way they administer things. And we pass the buck all the way down the line. And when our children do not grow up to become the kind of men, the kind of women that we dreamed, that we prayed for, we say, oh, the fault was, we point to the school, we point to the church, we point to the coaches, we point to the teachers, we point to the media, we point to the culture. Parents, let me say something to you. Wake up. You and I as parents have to put all of these individuals and all of these entities that we throw our kids to so they'll develop in these areas, so they'll have recreation and entertainment and education, the rest of it, We have to put all this through a constant daily grid as to what we expect and what we're looking for. We can't throw them out to the capriciousness of this world. To do so, I can assure you, your son or your daughter will break your heart and you can be sure their lives will be neutralized minimized or perhaps destroyed. There's one thing if you just let this culture take them and and you delegate all of this without watchful, discerning, prayerful involvement, you can be sure that son or daughter will never deliver the message to the world that God intended for them to deliver when He put them together and you conceived them by His grace when you and your wife or husband made love with one another. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. So the responsibility and the accountability falls back on mom and dad. And if we really, really love our children, we must constantly put all of these entities where we delegate them to other groups and other individuals to teach, to train, to entertain, to recreate, we have to make sure that goes through a grid that you and your husband have prayerfully and carefully set up for their development. If you really love them, if you really love them, Elkanah and Hannah, we can be sure they love their kids You see it, the way they taught the biblical things. And the other thing you see about this couple, the reason they had a godly son, by the way, they had uh, three other daughters and two other sons. But the reason this firstborn Samuel was a godly son because they taught him to love the Lord. Look at it in that same chapter 2, verse 26. And she said, "Oh my Lord, talking to Eli, As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. So I've also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Samuel was taught by those parents that genuinely love the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, we have a godly son that made a difference in his generation. Now, I'm going to do something that's the most dangerous thing I've ever done in my ministry. I've never stood in this pulpit and done anything as foolish or as capricious or as, that has the risk factor that this does. I thought, well, who could I bring that we could talk about modeling godliness where it had failed and where it had succeeded? And I took a great risk. If you do not know them, I want you to meet my three sons, Ed, Ben, and Cliff. Gang, come on out. Be careful. Now, (laughs) we did this last night unrehearsed and I've warned them this morning, but I can tell you this is like walking around with nitroglycerin. I think uh, most of you or some of you at least know these guys. This is Cliff. He's a lead singer with Cadman's Call and uh, they, they do Christian concerts on about 100 college campuses every year. And he is a father of a cute little granddaughter. And uh, that is his calling, and it's a Christian calling. Ben, as you know, is a pastor on our staff. He, he pastors and teaches here. Uh, he has uh, the Single Connection radio show that goes on as uh, a talk show that goes on every Sunday night from 9 to 11 across America. Uh, he is author of a best-selling book, uh, The Ten Commandments of Dating. And he has two children. And then you have Ed, my older son. He is pastor of the fellowship uh, church there in the Metroplex in Dallas. And he usually is preaching to about, uh, in the weekend, about ten or 12,000. And church is going on right there, Ed, in your absence. And he has four children. And he has recently uh, written a new book on uh, the, ten, the, the 10 deadly sins. What's the title, of Deception? Seven deadly sins. Seven deadly yes. sins. I thought you added three. <laughs> Uh, What's the uh, title? Deception? It's called Fatal Distractions. Fatal Distractions. So this is my three sons, and I never cease to amaze that they all were called by God into a, not full-time Christian service. Every Christian is called into full-time Christian service. Every one of us. But they have a a church vocation in that sense. And uh, if anything, I discourage that, guys. And and what, what I would ask you, what would you say, Cliff? Uh, how, how, do you, how would you say to these people that are struggling with bringing up kids, how do you model godliness? How do you propose to do it? Uh, how does it happen? Where do we make mistakes?
2: Well, I think the, I think the main thing uh, that y'all did so well uh, with us was you actually did model godliness. I think so many times you see uh, parents today constantly uh, wanting to... Uh, uh, tell their kids, even when they're, they're my age and older, uh, uh, what godliness is, you should make this decision, no, this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing. Uh, even when uh, uh, the kids have a relationship with Christ and uh, uh, they get up in, in high school and all that, there's a time that I think y'all started saying instead of, no, this is the right way, this is the wrong way and we'd have something we'd come to you with. Uh, instead, uh, y'all, a lot of times would, you, you knew that we had a relationship with God and you didn't try to play the Holy Spirit with us. I think that's very important. You, you weren't uh, trying to uh, tell us exactly what to do all the time. You would say, hey, here's a suggestion. Uh, here's something. At the same time, we were watching you and mom and the way you would live your life and the way y'all would make important decisions and so many times uh, we made that right decision uh, uh, because of that. We knew the way y'all would do it as opposed to you telling us exactly the way you would do it or this is what I would do. So that was, that was an important thing and I think it's important uh, now as well. So. Ben, what, what, what would
0: you do differently? How would you uh, uh, improve so much on your mom and dad <laughs> as you bring up your two little girls? Or what, or what are some things that you drew from uh, trying to build the right stuff in your kids?
3: I think that one thing that was prevalent in our, our household was the fact that you and mom embraced all of life. When I talked to various people many times people folks will ask me the question, you know, how, how, what was it like growing up in a preacher's home, and why are you not so screwed up? And <laughs> that's, that's what they're really asking.
1: <laughs> and so
3: I say, well, that's, a, that's relative, because we're, we're all sinners, we're all messed up, we all make mistakes, but I think the reason we didn't go out and out and rebel against you or rebel against the faith was because our home was very normal. And that's why I tell folks it's very normal. We talked about sports, we played sports, we talked about politics, we embraced all of life. So it wasn't like you guys had this big pulpit Bible and you were always preaching at us and trying to cram it down our throats. You simply lived it out. And I remember growing up, we would pray together every night before we went to bed, I can remember it was during the, uh, not the Pokemon craze, but the Batman and Robin craze. And I can remember pr- praying for Batman and Robin. And, and and the,
0: <laughs> hey, the that. strange thing about Batman and Robin, Joe Bath made little suits for these guys. and Ed wanted to be Robin and Ben Batman. His Ed, older, bigger, was Robin. His Batman, smaller. I never understood that.
1: <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think Robin had cooler clothes. It so.
0: was <laughs> the shoes. Yeah. Yeah. The shoes. <laughs> the shoes. Ed, uh, what things did you pick up at, at, with your kids when you were coming along? What would what you do better? You've got four. You've got twins. Uh, you've got a, a guy. You've got a, now a teenage daughter. What's some of the challenges there for you? What would you say to parents in trying to bring these kids up in the proper way?
1: I define parenting as teaching and training your children to leave. And the teaching piece of that definition is from Deuteronomy 6. And then the training part is Proverbs 22. And then the leaving part is Genesis chapter 2. I really feel like, as we've been talking about, that being a parent is is a modeling job. You're on the runway 24 7. And values are more caught than taught. So, echoing what Ben and Cliff said, Dad, what's what's so great about um, our family looking back and then what Lisa and I are trying to model is exactly what you and Mom modeled authenticity. LIVING LIFE ON THE RUGGED PLAINS OF REALITY. AND I'M TELLING YOU ABOUT DAD AND ABOUT MY my MOM, WHEN YOU SEE THEM PUBLICLY AROUND HERE DOING THESE THINGS, THEY'RE THE SAME AWAY FROM CHURCH AS THEY ARE IN CHURCH. AND ONE OF THE UNIQUE THINGS ABOUT BEING A a PASTOR, SON, OR DAUGHTER IS THE FACT THAT YOU GET TO SEE YOUR your FATHER AND MOTHER IN MINISTRY IN ACTION. AND SPEAKING OF MODELING, I WILL TELL THIS LITTLE STORY ON DAD. ONE TIME, DAD, YOU DID TAKE MODELING A LITTLE TOO FAR. And this is a mistake that he made, when, uh, <laughs> when Lisa and I were dating, I was uh, like 15 years of age, I couldn't drive yet, so he was kind enough to drive us around to different places in Columbia, South Carolina at the time, and he uh, dropped Lisa and I off one time at her house and I walked her to the door, and I was gone for maybe two or three minutes, <laughs> and I returned to the car, we're driving, and we've always been a very open family, and dad turned to me and said, uh, son? Have you kissed Lisa yet? (laughs) I was saying to myself, well, man, that's a wild question. I said, uh, Dad, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) He said, Ed, I want to show you, he goes, I want to show you how to kiss a girl. (laughs) It's worked on your mother. It'll work for you. So Dad, I do want to confess openly, we're being authentic here, that that was taking modeling to another level.
0: <laughs> it's a
1: true story.
0: Now, you never kissed any girl up to that point. <laughs> I didn't want you to mess up. But, but, you know,
1: <laughs> but all kidding aside though, that's a great thing that you felt open enough and honest enough to say that to your son. I think it's a great thing. Really hey, people do. are wondering, how do you do it?
0: I mean, <laughs> how, 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 what, did, what did he show you? No, 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 no. Well, he said. He
1: uh, left out the instructions. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, he said, he said Ed, you, you, you take your face in no. your
0: hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we talk about having a Christian home, we think it's all pretty heavy here. Uh, uh, but, but going home, how do you keep home fun? How do you want to keep your family fun, Ben, Cliff, Ed? What do you do to... Uh, when, when you went home, uh, what was the elements there that, that were fun? Uh, I think that's a very important. You, this, this playing together and praying together is very, very important still, I think, in, in the home structure.
2: Yeah, I think uh, we... It wasn't a... When we went home, it wasn't this unbelievably structured, strict situation. It wasn't a stiff thing. It was very relaxed. Uh, uh, but outside of the home, we also did stuff on the weekends. You and I always played golf together. Uh, I'm nine years apart. Uh, Ben's nine years older than I am and Ed's 11. So I-, I kind of had an only child situation there for a while. And uh, uh, we would always play golf together. And uh, you know, early on, we'd all fish together. But uh, I was saying Ed and I are the only ones who stuck with the uh, biblical sport of fishing. Uh, so uh, we, we outgrew fishing. Ben yeah, and I did. Somehow they... They outgrew that, but that—that uh, that was one thing. It's, it's, it's an important important thing. You always did things uh, with me. I'll, always came to my my, my ball games, uh, sporting events. Uh, even when I was playing soccer when I was younger, you didn't understand a thing about soccer, but you were still there on the <laughs> sidelines. But uh, and that's important. So we. But I still fun. coached you. I didn't know what I was doing, but I exactly. always. Did. <laughs> kick, kick the ball. <laughs> kick, kick the ball.
0: But uh. Ben, is it different today than when you guys were coming up uh, in being parents? You think that your, your your challenge that you and Elliot have is different than the challenge that your mom and I had? I think there there are a lot of our culture has
3: changed so much in 30 years. It, it's been amazing with all the the innovation with technology, with TV, videos, uh, internet. Uh, so I think there has been a lot. There's been a, a cultural revolution, so to speak. But to me, that the values and the absolutes of Scripture and and the Christian ethic does not change. So I think you have to be more intentional today because kids have a lot more distractions than they did when I was growing up and when you were growing up. So I think you need to be intentional in reading to your kids and and talking to them and not allowing the the TV to be the center of your home. And then that, that's a difficult thing to do because it's the tv is is it can be a friend it can be the electronic babysitter and so you have to monitor i think what they watch and 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 do and do that in an early age i think sometimes so many parents are are battling with their kids when they're in junior high and senior high and and they're just they're involved in little skirmishes and and little battles when the war is won between the ages of zero and ten Mm-hmm. that's when you have to start disciplining them is at a very early age. And once you win the war, then the battles will take care of themselves in the junior high and high school uh, period. So I think it's important to start early
0: in disciplining I just kids. saw a cartoon that I thought was graphic. It, it pictured uh, uh, the devil. It pictured a demon crawling in a cable as it went in your home. You could see this devil crawling in the cable and smiling as he went in. And I think we need to be very, very aware of that. In in the internet, uh, in television, VHS, MTV, all of it, that's exactly what's happening. The world that many of us were sheltered from, we were growing up, now comes right in the home. And you have to monitor that, cut it off, and deal with it. And it's an ongoing battle, I think, where we are today. And I also think
1: that's the priority of the local church. I unashamedly think and, and, and proclaim the fact that parents if families should revolve their lives, orbit it around the church, because it's the most important thing going. That's what Jesus has been doing since he ascended to the Father, and he's still doing it until his glorious return. He is building churches. And when we as parents say, okay, we're gonna be in worship, we are gonna have you up here for age-appropriate teaching, that solves a lot of the problems right up front. But what's happening is, we uh, have entered into Activityville and we're so stressed out and over-challenged and over-stimulated that we say, oh yeah, church is the most important thing. My relationship with God is the most important thing. On one hand, we say that, but on the other, we're doing something that is the total opposite of that. So I think uh, wise families need to say, okay, we're gonna do three or four things very, very well. And one of the things that, that we have found in our relationship, Dad, that you and Mom have done an excellent job with is, is keeping the marriage at the top level in the home. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, the marriage should take precedent over every other relationship. And and what I see happening these days is I see uh, families putting the spotlight on their children, and they're becoming kid-centric as opposed to being spouse-centric. So within the context of the family, he's talking about a great modeling tool Date your spouse regularly. Go off on little trips together regularly. And right now, some are saying this, and saying, well, <laughs> you don't get it, Ed. I can't afford it. Well, it's worth it. Go in debt. You can't afford not to do it. <laughs> because if you don't pay the money now, one day you'll be paying the divorce l- lawyers, and your kids will be caught up in the uh, wreckage. So that's something that we have to be intentional about, because one day, as, as you and mom are experiencing now, uh, you you'll have the empty nest. It's
0: great. Let me tell you that. I recommend the empty nest. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> Guys, I want to thank you for coming, and we've survived here. I'd like to say one thing, Ed. If I hadn't taught you how to kiss, you wouldn't be married today. Let me say three things as we try to wrap all of this up as to how you model godliness with your kids. I've missed the boat many times, and Joe Beth would make that same confession. But three things that are very important, I think, summarize what we've been trying to talk about. First of all, build a lifetime love affair with your mate. Isn't that what we're saying? That's the most important thing. Say, so what does that have to do with parenting? You are modeling for them what love and family is all about. And to l- build a lifetime love affair with your mate takes creativity, it takes thoughtfulness, it takes an intentional action to do that. It takes a lot of subtle things, a lot of apparent things. But that is the beginning step, the genius of building an effective home and a great family. Build a lifetime love affair with your mate. Give that the highest priority. Number two, Build a lifetime love affair with your children. These guys know I love them whatever, whenever, unconditionally. And they know that I don't love any one of them better than I do any another one. There's no favoritism here. There never has been. I don't feel it, and they know it. They're all different, as you can see. Uh, And by the way, I I never thought they would be in this particular vocation in a full-time uh, church-related type of thing. That was the last thing I wanted them to do. I told them it was the last thing they needed to do. And, and the only hope we have is Cliff, the musician, he'll make enough money to support the rest of us. That's our dream. <laughs> That's our dream. And, and, and David, the Glenn, shares this with me as well. But I never dreamed that this would take place. So you have to build a lifetime love affair with your kids, with your kids. And finally, you build a lifetime love affair with Jesus Christ. Those are three things. You want to have godly kids and and godly grandchildren. You do those three things and you will model in a fun, meaningful way what it means to be a mom or dad. You, You play with them, you listen to them, you love them, you discipline them you use all these screens to make sure that their life is pointed in the right way. A lifetime love affair with Jesus Christ. And they will be able to discern whether or not that's real with you. All three of these guys have been personal evangelists. They have friends who are Christians today and their mother and dads are Christian today because they want them to Christ. I think about a friend of Ben that he led to Christ when you were how old were you and you won Greg to Christ?
3: Elementary
0: school. Elementary school to Christ, who went home and won his mother and dad in Christ, who in turn they won their grandparents to Christ, in turn this friend also is pastor of a church in South Carolina today, all because one little guy witnessed to another little guy, who witnessed to his mother and daddy, who witnessed to his sister, he had one sister, witnessed to two sisters led to Christ, who in turn led their parents to Christ. I said, Boy, that's an amazing story. No, it happens all the time. I can trace it through the influence of Ed and with with Cliff and our other kids. It's just who we are. I love the story about the guy who went up to the teenage boy and he said, Why do you love God, son? He said, I don't know. I guess it just runs in my family. (laughs) But let me say that's not enough. It's not enough for the love of God or relationship with Christ, simply to run in your family, it has to go beyond that. If it doesn't go beyond that, the first agnostic professor they encounter in college, the first skeptic they encounter in the office, when they begin to ask the hard questions, they're not ready to defend themselves. So it not only has to run in the family, and you say, I believe that Jesus is God's son, but also it has to have a factual basis. And the wonderful, amazing truth about Christianity is it is rooted in history, in time, and in space, and there is empirical evidence there of the deity of Christ. Empirical evidence concerning the crucifixion and the resurrection and the truth of God's Word. You see what happens to us. It's very, very interesting. The heart cannot rejoice and what the mind rejects. You get that? You say, well, I believe that Jesus is God's Son. Why do you believe it? Well, I just believe it. I believe it, therefore it's true. You see, I come at it the other way. Because it is true, that's the reason I believe it. See what I'm saying? So you've got to understand and give to your kids the historical fact that this is true truth It is true truth, the facts of the good news, and therefore I believe it because I believe in true truth. In that way, no one can shake their faith because it is not only a subjective belief, but there is objective historical truth upon which this belief is founded and based. And on that rock, you'll produce sons and daughters who will make a difference in the third millennium. Second chance, guys. You want to add anything we left out? <laughs> Are you real sure? We're good. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the thrill and the blessing of having kids. And Lord, we know as parents, and Joe Beth and I certainly know that we have missed the mark so many, many times that we're thankful for your grace and the fact that you give us a second chance. And Lord, we pray today for that mom who may be without a mate. We pray that you'll give her courage and you'll give her the ability and and the wisdom and the talent while holding down a full time job to still the time she can spend with her kids will make up for the deficit that she feels in not having a partner there with her at home. And Father, I pray today for single adults who are not yet married. May they begin already to see the kind of mate that you would have them to have. Not just who gives lip service, but really lives and walks with Jesus Christ. Someone they can build a passionate love affair with for the rest of their life, and therefore they can passionately love children, therefore they can passionately love the Lord Jesus Christ and produce offsprings that will spread your truth even to generations yet unborn. O oh Lord, challenge us in all of our areas of influence not to feel that I'm not involved in parenting anymore, but may we all feel a sense of call and responsibility and accountability to you to be the salt and the light and the leaven as we seek to infuse this decadent culture that has such a siren call of of lustfulness and hedonism Lord, may we be men and women of God who will make that difference, teenagers who will stand up humbly for Thee, and children who will say no to those things they need to say no to, and yes to those things they need to say yes to, because of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and because of all the supporting arm of the church and the family.
1: You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young.
2: Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.